Let us now turn our attention to the preaching and teaching of God's Word as I call your attention to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Um, but before we get there, let's, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together and the preaching of His Word. Lord, we're so thankful that we are gathered in this place to call upon Your name, to worship You, to learn from You, to be transformed by Your Spirit through Your Word. So, Father, let this time be honoring in Your sight so that our lives would reflect the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Open our eyes, our minds, and our ears to be attentive to your Word, to be sensitive to the leading of your Spirit that leads us into transformation and confirmation into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So as you're turning to Revelation chapter 22, you guys, we've been there pretty much all morning. Um, I just want us to kind of give us a roadmap and why we are where we are. Uh, We've been looking at this Advent series of Reclaiming Christmas, um, and every time we've been looking at how the divine has come into this world, how the divine mystery works, and the divine proclamation. Um, But I failed to mention what the word Advent means. Um, if you didn't know what it means, it's Advent is just a, it's a Latin word, which means coming. Um, Advent season is a season where Christians would gather together and celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's what we've been doing thus far. Uh, we've been reflecting and celebrating upon the wonder of the incarnation In the first advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came once already, and um, yet there is a second advent. Amen? There is a second advent. Yes, it's good. We're going to celebrate tomorrow, and and whatever we're going to do in our family traditions, and we've been doing that, yet there is a second advent. That's what we've been reading and, and looking at this, this morning. Um, you and I, if we are really honest and if we, if we really think deeply about it, you and I and all of church and human history is found between these two advents, before, between these two comings, the first coming and the second coming. That's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. And the Lord has been teaching us through his word about the certainty of the first advent, right? Now we, we've been looking at Luke's account from Luke chapter, um, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. The last three weeks, we've been walking slowly through so that we may know the certainty of the things that we have learned. This is why Luke writes his gospel. And we've been looking at that, um, and the Lord has been so faithful in teaching us that. And, and, and last week, I briefly mentioned the rationale why um, the world growingly does not want to say Merry Christmas during the season. Right? You get, if you remember, uh, if you don't, you can go back and listen to our uh, podcast. This is a shameless plug to our podcast. But why does the world not acknowledge Christmas? As it would imply that they would actually acknowledge and they would admit that Jesus actually came. But they don't want to admit that. The world doesn't want to admit the actual reality and the truth that there was a supernatural birth that took place in Bethlehem. 
and that, that was my rationale. I briefly mentioned that. Um, and and I kind of just wanted to stretch that out this week and, and really building on that, I want us to consider the implication of what we learned. Uh, that is the implication of the first advent. Could it be why the world doesn't recognize Christmas? Why we want to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas in our, in our day? Could it be because Christmas, acknowledging the fact that Christmas is the birth of Jesus, has an implication of the second coming, the second advent, right? And the second advent is not going to be like the first one. Jesus is not going to come. We're going to see here in the second in our text this morning, but he's not going to come being born in a manger in some obscure city in somewhere that we don't even know where it is now and we can't locate it on the map to an obscure, some um, like, Regular, we call it mid, right? That's the Gen Z term. Some mid kind of lifestyle. And, and this, this woman who was not even really fully a woman yet, she was just, she was just in th- uh, betrothed. To, to this, he's not going to come in a random way like that. So to admit the first advent has its own implication. Meaning that we're going to have to admit to the second Advent. Because without the first advent, there would be no second um, advent. But because Jesus was born to a virgin in Bethlehem through the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, we can know that He would come again. So in light of that, I want us to read our text this morning, which comes from Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 17. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, he says, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have authority. Some translation says they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city outside of the dogs and the, squ- the sorcerers and the sexually immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to receive the water of life without cost. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider these words this morning, I want us to um, really look at 
four ways you can live in light of the divine anticipation of the second advent. So as you're getting ready to, to go home this afternoon, as you're getting ready to, to open presents or exchange gifts and, and do whatever it is that you do in your own family traditions to celebrate the memory of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, I want you also to remember and to meditate and really be convicted and transformed by the words we just read. And from this text, I want to challenge us this morning to reclaim Christmas. Not just as a holiday where people change gifts, but to reclaim Christmas by celebrating the fulfillment of the first advent while looking forward to the second advent. So in light of that, from our text, I want to um, walk through four ways you can live in light of this divine anticipation. First way you can do that is by remembering the promise. Remembering the promise. Look down with me to verse 12. We find that it's right there. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his work. That is the first thing that I, uh, that I want us to consider. Now, we have a promise. Just like the people in the Old Testament had a promise of a, a coming Messiah, and some of them didn't even recognize it, and some of them missed it. In fact, they killed the very Messiah they were looking for. So I don't want us to miss out on that like they did. We have a promise of the second advent. Clearly stated to us, we know that Jesus is coming. You know why we know that Jesus is coming? Can I take you back to your nursery days? You know, that when, you, when you were in kindergarten, you sang a song. If you, if, you, if you had Christian parents, the first Christian song you sang about Jesus, how you know that Jesus loves you. How do you know that Jesus loves you? Because the Bible tells me so. There you go. We got, we got a straight-A student right here. No wonder you're at UNC, man. We know that Jesus is coming because, behold, he says, I am coming. We have this promise. Remember that promise. Don't forget that promise. Because the tendency is because he has not come yet and it's been 2,000 human years and you don't know when he's going to come, you forget about it and you live a life. And we live a life. And we forget that he, he made that promise. But because if and since we have seen the truthfulness and the faithfulness and the, and the nature of God who is a promise keeper in the first advent, that he came into history, we can look back to history and say, no, he said he would come and he came 2,000 years ago. Because we have that. And also in our own lives, because Jesus came into your own life. Because Jesus came into your life, changed your life around. He, he took you from being a sinner and he made you his own. And now you are a saint in his eyes. Because you know this, not only from history, but from also your life. As your Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus as Savior and Lord does in your life and into history. We can hold fast to this promise and hope. 
So remember this promise. This is an exclamation of truth that he will come again. This is what we see in our text this morning. He's going to come. But he's going to come in a different way than the first time. This time, he's coming with his checkbook. Oh, nobody ever uses checkbooks anymore. I mean, we're in the 21st century. This, this time, he's going to have his bank app open on Zelle. Or he's going to have his cash app open. Or his Venmo, whatever you want to use. Or Apple Pay. He's going to have that. He says, I am coming with my reward. He's going to come ready to distribute payment to every single soul in history. This is the promise that we have here. I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. I got my, 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 my checkbook with me to render to every man according to his work. How he pays out, how he's going to send that, what his payment is going to be dependent on the kind of work each person depends on. He's going to render to every man according to his work. He's going to pay out wages. The word here uh, that, that is used to, to render, it, it's, or, or, or the word here, the reward actually, is actually translated in many places as wages. Here's a memory verse you might remember from Sunday school. Romans 3.23, what does it say? The wages of sin is death, right? So what a wage of sin? Wage is something that you get paid for. Yes, that's what you get out of sin is death, right? So that's, that's the same word that is used here. My wages, the payments that I'm going to distribute is with me. He's going to pay out. The wages, the reward rendered depends on whether you built your life on, based on your work or on God's work. That's what he says. The payment is going to be dependent on the work of each person. What work do you base your life out of? Based on that, the payments will be distributed. Those who would depend on their own works would get paid according to that. Those who would say, okay, I have nothing to show for it. I only have the work of God through Jesus Christ would also receive a payment. Those are the two dichotomies. Those are the two distribution of payments there are. Those are the only two categories of payments there are. So remember this promise as you celebrate Christmas and as you live your life in light of this divine anticipation of his second advent. Secondly, I want us to, to consider this, which is not only remember the promise, but trust the promise giver. Trust the promise giver. Because it's not only enough to know the promise. In fact, it's not even just enough to know about the promise giver. Because most of us in here, I mean, I can sit down with every single one in here for the most part. 
And I'm pretty confident that you would tell me when Jesus was born, where he was born, who his mother was, what he did, and everything else. You may know a lot about the promise giver, but do you know him? Do you trust him? It's essential not only to know the promise and the promise giver, but it's to trust him. Why do you trust Jesus, by the way? Because the Bible tells me so. Would be a good answer. But trust him for who he is. Look at what he says in verse 13. I am the Alpha and Omega, and the, and the first and the last, the beginning of an end. And then skip down to verse 16. I, Jesus, I, comma, right, in your Bibles? Jesus, just in case you didn't know who the I was, it's Jesus speaking, says, I am, again, the root and the descent of, uh, of David. I am the bright morning star. It's because of who he is. He identifies himself to us. He indicates his, his divinity, his deity in verse 13, right? I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who, who has that title except for the divine God? And then he also reminds us his, his humanity, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that, that the mystery of Christmas is the fact that the divine became truly, uh, kept his truly divine nature and still became truly human to reconcile man with God. So he reminds us this of this reality here, indicating his deity in verse 13, his humanity in verse 16. It is in the same, it's the same one that came the first time. And dwelt among us, as John would tell us in John chapter 1. The same one who, who was the Word and who is the Word and who was with God and who was God and who came down from heaven to dwell among us and we, they beheld Him, they touched Him. He was hungry, He was thirsty, He, he cried, he, he, he even suffered death. That same one who dwelt among us is the one giving this promise of His second coming. You can trust him, again, by, by, by looking at the Bible and the, the, the chapter, the verse in front of us. You can trust him because he is prominent. He is before all things. He is the beginning and the end. Look at what he says in verse 13. One, I am the Alpha and Omega. Those are just Greek letters, the first letter and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The Alpha is the first letter and the Omega is the last letter. You can't change that. It stays the same. It's almost kind of like saying, I am the A and the Z. So no matter where you take an A, an A would always be an A, and a Z would always be a Z. But if that's not enough, he says, I am the first and the last before anything is, I am. He is the most prominent. He precedes all things in time, space, and degree. He precedes all things. Not only that, he is the only one who's going to be remaining after all others in space and time and degree have passed. See, before you and I were, he was. Before the first man was, before the universe was, he, he was. So he's trustworthy. You can trust him because he, he was before all of that. He knew that before it even it existed. And after you and I are long gone and our grandchildren have forgotten about us, 
he will still remain. You can trust him because of that. He's also the foundation, the, the originator of the universe. This is what it means by, he says, I'm the beginning and the end. He, 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 he can't define himself with anything else but by himself. See, you and I have a beginning. That's just something that we have. Anything in the universe has a beginning. Notice he doesn't say, I have a beginning, I have an end. He doesn't say that. He is those things. He is the foundation, the originator of the universe and even your life and my life. He is the completion. Not only he is the starter, but he's also the completion, the fulfillment of all things. He is the one who gives purpose to all things. The end of our lives, the end of the universe points to him. He is the one who's giving the promise that he is coming. So you can trust him. Under what authority? Look down at verse 16. I, Jesus, he says, hey, my authority is historically mine. I am the root and the descendant of David. He has the authority to govern and rule over in light and not in darkness. He has a name that is historically verifiable. That's the, the power of his name and the glory of his name. You and I can look back in real life, in real history, just like someone can look up your search you on Google and find out that you actually exist. Some of you might even have your addresses. I could Google you and find out everything about you on social media and stuff like that. Just like that, just as anybody's life can be verifiable, his life, his glory, his honor, his name is historically verifiable. It's, it's tangible. It's not something that we're making up in our minds. Even non-believers, even the world that hates him knows about him. And they can't deny his reality. He, it's a concrete thing, guys. I'm, 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 really, I'm really trying to press this point to you. Jesus is not just an idea. He's not just a figment of your imagination. He's real. So you'll do well to trust the promise because of the promise giver. Because he is trustworthy. Thirdly, I want us this morning to examine our present condition. That's the third point if you're taking notes on how you can live in light of this divine anticipation. Examine your present condition. See, there's a contrast laid out before us in verses 14 and 15 in our text. All you have to do is read it. It's obvious. It's right there. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the authority to the tree of life or they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs 
the sorcerers, the sexual immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, the everyone who loves and practices lying. You see the contrast. Two groups of people. And this is the state of all of mankind between the two advents. And really, by extension, throughout all of history, this is the condition that the world is in. All you got to do is just look around. There are some people that are Christians, there are people that are not Christians. Some people that lie and that cheat and that kill and they commit sexual adultery, uh, sexual immorality. And there are some people that actually want to live a life that honors the Lord. All you got to do is just open your eyes and look around. This is the reality. So in light of that, I want us to examine our present condition. See here in verse 14, uh, there are those that are described as blessed. Those who are characterized by happiness, by being highly favored. Those who receive divine grace. Remember uh, the angel coming to, to Mary a few weeks ago and, and he told her, hey, you, you found favor in God's sight. And she was perplexed. How did, how did I, what, what, what kind of greeting is this? She was even pondering that. The, the, there are those that are described and characterized as recipient of divine grace. Those, as the verse tells us, that have washed their robes. Those that have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who have been dressed in His righteousness. Those that have exchanged their guilt and their sin and their shame and their filthy rag of self-righteousness. And they've been washed, washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. There are those who have the privilege to have access. It is a privilege to have access. You know that, right? As we live in the 21st century, I was talking to um, someone yesterday. Family came over, and, and we were talking about Christmas gifts, and um, they were saying it's so, so, so hard to figure out what to get kids these days because, I mean, they get, they get things all throughout the year. Said when we were growing up, Christmas was the only time we got the toys that we really, really, really wanted. And so we anticipated for that and we did that. We looked forward to that. But now you keep getting kids everything from everywhere. Stores like Five, five Below are around by God's providence. So it's cheap. So we can buy them gifts. And so what do you even get them? And they feel entitled to those things. So when Christmas comes, I mean, don't go to Five Below and get me something because that's, that's just something we do in April and May and June. I, I mean, you've got to go all out. Go on Amazon. you got to buy me something for $307. It's almost like it's not a privilege to receive gifts. Like it's almost an entitlement, right? But what we see here, that those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ understand those are the same ones that have the privilege to have access. So you and I are so privileged to sit and to hear the Word of God preached and to receive it and to apply it to our lives as the Holy Spirit does that in our, in, in our hearts. It is such a privilege. 
You're not, we're not guaranteed this forever. We're not guaranteed this tomorrow. We're not guaranteed an opportunity to repent from our sin. We're not guaranteed to, 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 to hold fast to the promise that Jesus is coming. Quickly, by the way. If I may just go back for one second. That word quickly. When he says he'll come quickly. Or soon, some translations would have it. It's going to sound like it's too soon. When Jesus comes. Let me, let, me, let me just ask this practical question. Would you honestly, because you don't have to answer it to me, honestly in your heart, do you think you are ready for Jesus to come right this second? No, it's too soon. I got to get my life together is mostly what, what, what I would be thinking. And I'm sure there's a level of at least an inkling, as sanctified as most of you may, may be. And you guys are just ready to go. Jesus comes. Yeah, he's going to find me doing whatever he, he wants me to do. No, honestly, Jesus, if Jesus comes right now, he's not finding us doing what he wants us and ordered us and commands us to do. He's going to find us playing video games in church, talking to our friends in church, looking at social media in church, zoning out and daydreaming in church. If he was to come right now, some of us, some of us, he's going to find us paying attention to these words and, and, and really listening to it. So it's going to be so soon. You're going to have that reaction. Oh, Jesus, why so soon? I was just waiting until. That's really how it's going to be. That's what the word quickly is there for. It's not for us to just time him and say, okay, it's been 2,000 years. And by my calculation, and I can go back and see how long human history existed before his first advent. And then we can. It's not there for that. It's going to sound, it's going to be too quick. And as he was talking to his disciples in Matthew 28, uh, in Matthew 26 to 28, this is what he tells them. If you're, on, if you're out, just go. Don't even look back. It's going to be so, so soon. It's going, to, it's going to be too quick for you, my second coming. Coming back to the third point. It's a privilege to have access to the tree of life. There are those that have access to the tree of life. life. The tree of life, which by God's providence, we, we read in, in our scripture reading this morning, or not even our scripture reading, but our call to worship this morning in, uh, in chapter 22, verse 2. Uh, this is the tree of life in the, that is in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves, and the leaves of the tree, were for the healing of the nations. We have access. There are those who have access to this tree of life that bears an abundant, enriched, all-satisfying life. There are those people that have the privilege to have access to it. And there are those people that, that who have access to enter into the city that we read about. 
I just want to highlight them. Just if, if you're in chapter 22, just flip one chapter back and, and, and look at chapter 21. I just want to show you from, from the Bible itself what this city that they have access to. This city that these blessed people would enter. The city described in chapter 21, verse 2, as, And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, a city that finds its source from God. A city not, not, not humans come together and build from the ground up, but a city that comes down from heaven that is holy, made ready as the bride adorned for her husband. Look again in verse 10, uh, a city, uh, uh, he says, and he, he carried me away in the spirit in the great high mountain and showed me this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down again out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. See how the city is described. Her brilliance was like precious stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. That kind of city that they have access to. The kind of city that is described in verses 19 and 21 through 21. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, um, Calcadony, the fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, Crystallite, uh, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the, the tenth, Christopheres, the eleventh. I mean, look at, look at uh, how many different kinds of stones there are. Verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one with the gates were single pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. I mean, this is the kind of city that these people have access to. They would enter, he says, into the city. And you could read verses 23 to 27. I'm not going to read that. And, and really, just look at ver chapter, uh, chapter 21 in its entirety to understand what access you have or these people would have. And I'm saying you because I'm assuming. But this is the point. Examine your present condition. In light of this contrast. On the other hand, in verse 15, there are those who, uh, in verse 14, by the way, they have, we, we have now these people that are considered the insiders. Verse 15 tells us there are outsiders. There are those who are described as this despicable, disparaging, unclean, unworthy, ungodly. That's what, by the way, if I may, you read dogs and you're like, you, you think of this nice little cute, cuddly, you know, fur ball, you know, man's best friend and stuff like that. <laughs> That's not how, how the Bible describes dogs. The biblical dis description of dogs is as such. Dogs are described as always hungrily prowling around. Eating whatever is thrown out as garbage and attacking whatever is defenseless.
dog in the in the Bible is is not a favorable word. It's an insult. So outside, he says, are those who are disparaging, who are unclean, who are unworthy, who are just hungrily prowling around, eating whatever is out there. The garbage is what they pick out after. And attacking whatever is defenseless. Outside are those who are described that way. Outside are those who are described as sorcerers. Those who would practice and engage in activities derived from evil spirits. Especially by means of mixing substances. The Greek word for this is actually pharmakio. Do you, you hear that? Right? The sorcerers, the Greek word for, for, for sorcery is pharmakia. Do you, do you hear the similarity of a, a word in English that we have? Pharmaceuticals, drugs? Yeah. Take that with a grain of salt, if you will. But those are outside. Who engage in these activities uh, in, <laughs> that, are, that are really induced by drugs and substances. Outside are those who are described as a person who is known for their wildly excessive sexual lifestyle. I mean, they're just flamboyant. This in your face. Those are those who are described here as the sexual immoral persons. I think we've gone over the Greek word for that. You guys learned Latin and Greek today, by the way. Pharmakia, and this word for sexual immoral persons that is used is porneia. Does that sound like something that you know in the English? And that, that, that is actually very prevalent in our society since the 1960s, honestly speaking. And there are those who are murderers. By the way, Jesus himself de defines murder for us in Matthew chapter 5. Murder is not just the act of killing somebody. It's not just the act of homicide. But he says, if you are angry with your brother and call him raka, worthless, you have committed murder in your heart. So Jesus goes to the heart of murder and he says, anger equals murder. So there are those described as murderers outside. There are those who have an affection to this kind of lifestyle. Uh, actually, uh, there are those who, are, who worship falsely. Those are the idolaters. I'll skip them. Idolatry, friends, is not just worshiping other gods. If you worship God falsely, if you worship Yahweh, if you worship the, 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 the God of the, the, the Bible in the way that he does not receive, and if you want more in-depth detail on that, we had a whole two-month series on worship, biblical theology of worship. So go back, shameless plug again, go back and listen to it in the podcast. So I'm not going to get into that too much this morning. But there are those outside who worship falsely and who worship false gods. 
There's false religions out there, and there are those who claim to have true religion or to claim to worship God the wrong way. They're also outside. Most of you by now should know that there is one passage in the Bible that I think about consciously twice a week, at least twice a week, and it's found in Matthew chapter 7. This is where the Lord Jesus tells his disciples in the middle of, or the end of the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of my Father in heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father that is in heaven. But in that day, he tells them, many will come to me. Many, by the way, emphasis, emphasis on that word, many, would come to me and say, Lord, are they calling him the right? Jesus is Lord, right? Yes? Yeah, they're calling him the right thing. And they would come and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not actually preach sermons about you? Do we not go out and say, this is what Jesus wants you to do, be like Jesus? And do we not say these things in your name? In fact, not only did we prophesy, did we not do miracles and wonders and powerful things in your name? And that's what they're bringing to the table, the works that they're bringing to the table. And he says, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's jarring. So there are those who would worship him falsely or who would worship false gods outside. And lastly, there, there are those who have and affection of those who love and practice lying. All, all these things that are listed, they are those who love them and actually practice them. They are those who have an affection to this kind of lifestyle without any reservation, actually pridefully in, in, embracing it, live out their daily lives in this way is what it means. That's not, but don't hear me list these things out or don't, don't see this passage and say, wait, 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 wait. Some of these things kind of sound like things that I'm struggling with. Key word there, struggle. This is not the ones. These are not the ones who are at war with these things. These are not the ones who are at war with drug addiction or porn addiction or living in a way. These are the people that love it, that embrace it, that, that have actual affection towards these things. These are not the people who are at war with these things. These are not the, the people that hate these things are a reality in their lives. These are not the people that, that are trying by God's grace to eliminate and to, to kill these things from their life, to wipe them out from their lives. These are not the people that, that are listed here. These are the people that love them and not practice them. So I want to be clear on that because the text is clear. They love and practice these things. 
So as you're doing this examination, as the Holy Spirit is leading you, hopefully now in this moment, and as he does, as you leave and you live your daily life and as you open your gifts, and this is how you're supposed to live your life in anticipation of the second advent. So until Jesus comes, this is the way that you examine yourself. As you do this, remember this truth. The contrast between those who would enter into the kingdom of heaven by trusting and obeying in the person and work of Jesus Christ and those who are on the outside. So examine your present condition, therefore, to see where you are. Are you the ones listed or described in verse 14 or verse 15? Which one are you? This is a biblical command even. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul tells us, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So examine your present condition as you anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, respond with expectation. So we know the promise. We trust the promise keeper, or the promise giver. We examine our hearts to see where we are. So what should be your response? What should be my response? Look down with me to verse 17 tells you your responsibility right there. Come. Your responsibility is to come. The Spirit of God and the Church of Christ invite you to respond by living a life that is characterized by moving towards God, by drawing towards God. Come. If you hear this truth, let the one who hears say, Come, if you hear this truth, you're convicted by it, you're wondering what to do, draw near to God now. And not only for yourself, but also invite others to come near to God. Through the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a need, this unquenchable desire, that's what a thirst is, right? Uh, when you're thirsty, this unquenchable desire for your soul. Come, draw, draw near to God through Christ. And as you draw near to Here's why I said respond with expectation, right? Here's what our response to come is with expectation. As you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. That's a promise from Him. You can do so with the certainty that He will provide you with life. That He will be the source and the sustainer of your life. That's what water is. 
see, we got running water everywhere right now. All we got to do is just go to a, one room and just turn on the tap and we have it. So we don't necessarily understand what water meant to the ancient world. Water is an essential element for life to exist. In fact, those of you that are much smarter than I am in science, the scientists would tell you the only reason that we have life on earth is because earth has what? Water. That's why we can't go live on Mars. There's no water for us. And for life, as we know it to exist, it needs to be water. So the Word of God actually draws on, well, if, if you will, it draws on that, that life-giving, life-sustaining element of water. It says, come. If you want to receive the water, come. And He will give you water. Come and cling to Him. For free. For free. You know, I, right now I don't know how many people are in this room. But there are venues all across the United States, if not all across the world, that have tens of thousands of people that are extremely engaged. And those venues are not necessarily free. You pay to get in. I don't know the last time you paid to go to church or to come to Jesus. It's free. It's a privilege, right? And I'm talking about sports events, by the way. And when you go there, there's nobody. I've, I mean, you know, the, the, when you watch it on TV, the, 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 the camera goes around. Everyone is engaged. Everyone is paying attention. I mean, from time to time, you might have to see somebody on their phone scrolling and stuff like that. But when the game is going on, that might be on timeouts and halftime or whatever. But when the game is going on, I mean, everybody's engaged. In, in fact, they're even singing hymns, if you will. Right? If you're really, really into that sport, I mean, you're singing. You're cheering everybody on. You're that engaged. And you got to pay to get in. But the Lord Jesus says, come. Receive this life-giving, life-sustaining water at no cost to you. Why at no cost to you? Because when you come and cling to Him who paid the cost of your sin and your brokenness, and gave you freedom from all its burdens in this life and a life to come. What other response should you have? So I invite you, if you are not a believer, if you have not put your trust in Him who is calling you to come, to come this morning to Him, expecting that He will accomplish His promise because of who He is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the time that You've given us this morning.
and for the time that you've given us in this season as we consider how you have caused your plan of redemption to be known to us through the virgin birth, through the coming of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in a supernatural way. Lord, thank you for this divine intervention into our lives. So we pause and we remember and we acknowledge and we reflect on and we're thankful for your supernatural activity that is being done in our midst, even though we might not understand it, even though it might appear to be a mystery to us. Lord, we have seen the effect of it. We've seen our life changed. And we feel our lives being transformed. We hate our sin and our brokenness. And we love you. Lord, this is because Jesus came into this world. And we thank you for that. So as we consider this reality and we celebrate this, Lord, give us a heart that also meditates on the reality that He is coming back again. And He is coming back quickly. And He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Lord, give us eyes to examine our hearts and to put our trust not in our works, but in His works and His person. To examine our lives and to come and cling to you, both for our salvation and for our sanctification. Lord, our lives are in your hands. So, Father, do your work. Open up heaven today, this moment, and the rest of our lives so that your Spirit can be poured out in us with abundance so that we may continue to drink from the water that gives life, not just life in this world, but life that is eternal. Make this reality happen to us by the work of your Spirit, according to your will, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.